So my wife, Dana, and I, we've been married for over 30 years. And one of the things that we've loved to do in ministry is we've really enjoyed over the years praying together for other people, praying healing prayer, laying on of hands, and praying for people. And over the years, we've done trainings together. We've gone away to be trained to do it better. And when I served at St. Stephen's Church in Swickley, I helped organize healing prayer weekends where we would specifically preach to healing and invite people to come and be prayed for. And Dana and I always pray together at those events. And we really enjoy doing that. We've got lots of experience doing it together, praying for others, learning how to pray together. And my wife's a licensed professional counselor, and I'm a pastor, a priest, and so you look at that combination and you think, yeah, they'd be a really good team serving together in this ministry. They'd complement each other, and it's true, we do. But there's a really important point that I want to note when Dana and I pray together. I have learned to get out of her way. I have learned to get out of Dana's way when we pray together. And here's why I say that. My wife has amazing God-given gifts for prayer ministry. She's got this ability to discern into the lives of people. She will say things to people, and afterwards, it's spot on. And afterwards, I'll say to her, how did you know that? And she'll say, I don't know. I just, it just came to me amazing ability to discern. She's got this gift of healing. God does amazing things through my wife in the lives of people, and it's a privilege to watch it happen. She's got this ability to have compassion for people. When you see her and watch her pray, to look into her eyes and to see the love and compassion she has for people, and she has this amazing ability to speak things. She has courage to speak things into the lives of people that are really risky to say. And so when we pray together, Dana leads, and I follow her lead, and I support her, and I'm okay with that, because it's the way it should be. Even though I'm the ordained priest, and she's not. Even though I carry more perceived authority. Even though I'm the man, and she's the woman. When we pray together, Dana leads, and I follow her lead. In our reading today that Alex just read for us, Judges chapter 4, and it's on page 204 in your pew Bibles, this is the one and only judge who is a woman. And she's not just any woman. She is an amazingly gifted woman. And so this morning, I want to look at Deborah the judge, and I want to think think through some questions. So here's what we're going to think about. First, what were Deborah's God-given gifts? What gifts did God give specifically for her for ministry? And then we'll think, how did Deborah use those gifts in leadership? How did God operate through her and through her gifts in the lives of others? And then once we look at Deborah, we'll transition to think about what does this mean for us today? What's it mean for us as we think about gifted women in leadership? So, you all here at Christ Church, I know that you've been at this for six weeks. You've looked at the time of the judges, and you have looked specifically at this uh, cycle of sin that takes place in the judges. It happens over and over again. 
and this is what it looks like. The nation of Israel falls into corporate sin. Not just individual sin, the whole nation sins. And that always leads to a time of oppression by other nations. God allows other nations to come in and oppress the people. And the people get into this situation and they cry out to God for help. And God always delivers them through a judge. So this cycle over and over. We're only in chapter 4. It'll keep happening over and over again. Today's reading, we see the cycle in the first four verses. Here's what happens. And the people of Israel, again, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Corporate sin, after Ehud died. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan. So oppression by other nations. We get more details. Their commander, their general, was this guy named Sisera. And then the people cried out to the Lord for help. Same cycle. And they'd been, what we discover is, this guy Sisera, the general, had 900 chariots of iron. And he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for 20 years. So 20 years this is going on. So into this circumstance, God provided a judge once again to deliver the people. And her name was Deborah, a woman gifted by God. Now, I'm going to say this a couple times. Deborah served in a very patriarchal society. But she was really respected. It's an amazing dynamic. So let's look again at the account of Deborah the judge. I want to begin by looking at verses 4 and 5. And here's where we'll answer the question, what were Deborah's God-given gifts? How did God gift Deborah? Here's what we read. Now, Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at that time. And she used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the people of Israel came up to her for judgment. So, a couple gifts we see in there. First gift we see, she's identified here as a prophetess. Deborah had the God-given gift of prophecy. She is the only judge in the book of Judges who has this gift. Samuel had the gift in the next book of the Bible. The last judge had the gift of prophecy, but no other judge in the book of Judges had this gift. And a prophet, being a prophet meant something very specific. It meant that God would speak to that person. So Deborah had this communication pathway with God. God would speak to her. He would give her a word of instruction for the people, and Deborah's role was to deliver that word. That's what a prophet does. She was like a mouthpiece for God. Great gift. Second gift we see, as a judge, Deborah was a respected leader. Remember, very patriarchal society. In this society, men led. Women were submissive. In fact, so much so that women were viewed as less than men. And yet people, women and men, came to Deborah for wisdom, for words from God. So Deborah, a woman, provided both spiritual and political leadership, gifted by God to do that. So next, next question, how did Deborah use those gifts in leadership? In other, word, other words, what happened in our story? Well, here's verses 6 and 10 again. 6 through 10. 
Deborah sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abinoam from Kadesh Naphtali and said to him, so this is the general of Israel, the leader, said to him, now keep in mind, I'm going to read this. This is a rhetorical question. And it's actually God speaking through her. She's exercising her gift of prophecy. She says to the general, has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you? Go, gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from the people of Naphtali and the people of Zebulun. And I will draw Sisera, the generals of Jabin's army, to meet you by the river Kishon with his chariots and his troops, and I will give him into your hand. Barak said to her, if you will go with me, I will go, but if you will not go with me, I will not go. Yeah. And she said to him, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Then Deborah rose and went with Barak to Kadesh, and Barak called out Zebulun and Naphtali to, to, get to Kadesh, and 10,000 men went up at his heels, and Deborah went with him. So right after we learn about Deborah's gifts, she immediately uses one. She gave a prophetic word from the Lord through this long rhetorical question, and it's really specific. She says to the general, this leader who's oppressed you for 20 years and has 900 iron chariots, will I not give him into your hand? Barak's only answer is affirmative. Right? And he accepts the prophetic word. Sort of. With a condition for Deborah. If you'll go with me, I'll go. If you won't go with me, I won't go. Now this tells us two things. First, how much credibility Deborah had as a respected prophetic leader. The general says to a woman, if you go, I'll go. If you won't go, I won't go. She was really respected. Here's the second thing this tells us. How little faith and trust that Barak had in God. Because God didn't say, Deborah's going with you. He just said, will I not give them into your hand? In our culture, we call guys like this weenies or wimps, or worse, that I can't say in a church. And what's amazing is Deborah's willing to go, but she gives this rebuke to Barak. I'll go with you, but you, Barak, the great military leader, this great general, you will not get the glory. Cicero will be defeated, but into the hand of a woman. Oh, <laughs> First reader of the story might think, the woman's going to be Deborah, right? But no, that woman would not be Deborah. Rather, a different woman is going to defeat Sisera. It's this woman, Jael. So the rest of the story, Sisera's whole army gets defeated. He's on the run. He comes to this tent. He thinks he's at a safe place. He trusts this woman in her tent. He's exhausted. He goes to sleep. Big mistake. We see it in verse 21. 
Jael, the wife of Heber, took a tent peg and took a hammer in her hand. Alex actually laughed when he read this. <laughs> then she went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple until it went down into the ground. And while he was lying fast asleep from weariness, so he died. God delivered the people, used another courageous woman, not Deborah. So what a great story, right? To summarize, what awesome gifts Deborah has for ministry. Think about it. She was both self-confident and assertive, and you combine that with being modest and self-effacing. She was bold enough to step out in leadership way beyond the women of her time, and yet she was wise and humble enough to avoid the spotlight. She didn't have to be front and center. She didn't care who got the glory. Deborah is for us a timeless example of spiritual leadership for all people. I don't care if you're talking about men or women, for all people. Deborah is an awesome example. All right, great story. What's it mean for us today? As we think about gifted women in leadership, what's this mean for us? So patriarchy is universal. It's timeless. We live in a patriarchal society. It bleeds into the Christian church. We've made great strides. We have, but it still exists. Men have subtle and not so subtle advantages and privileges that women don't have. Some of you men are probably squirming right now. And some of you women probably want to stand and cheer. I love, I don't know if any of you have ever seen this, I love NPR has tiny desk concerts. Have you ever seen these? Very famous people who perform in front of stadiums are invited by NPR to this little tiny office with a desk and they perform acoustically and there's a small crowd that gets to be there. And I was, I saw one of these pop up and it was Taylor Swift. Now, I'm not a Taylor Swift guy. In fact, about a month ago, my wife and I were in the city and there were hundreds of young girls, many of them with their mothers, who were all dressed the same. And I said to my wife, what is going on? Who are these people? And she said, there's Taylor Swift concerts tonight and tomorrow night at AccuSure Stadium. I said, two nights at the stadium? She said, oh yeah, Taylor Swift's huge. It sells out, you can't get tickets. I'm like, really? Okay. So she said, you've, li you've heard her music, your daughter listened to her for years. I'm like, I'm clueless, totally clueless. So I see on NPR, Tiny Desk Concert, and I watched it. She's a really good musician. She played her guitar, she played piano, all, all music written by her. I mean, what she, what she puts out is not my style, but I was really impressed. The first song she sang, she opened it up by saying, I think about this subject every day, multiple times a day. And the subject is, what would, what would it be like if I was a man in the industry that I'm in? And she said, I decided to write a song about it. It's called The Man. Listen to the lyrics. This is Taylor Swift. I would be complex. I would be cool. They'd say I played the field before I found someone to commit to. And that would be okay for me to do. 
Every conquest I had made would make me more of a boss to you. I'd be a fearless leader. I'd be an alpha type. When everyone believes you, what's that like? I'm so sick of running as fast as I can, wondering if I'd get there quicker if I was a man. And I'm so sick of them coming at me again, because if I was a man, then I'd be the man. I'd be the man. I'd be the man. Now, men, I want you to do something this week. Sometime this week, ask a woman if this dynamic is true for them. Just ask them. See what response you get. I want you to know this has never been God's intention. Whether you're talking about Deborah's time or today, this is just simply a result of human sin. It's a consequence of human sin. If you go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible to see God's intention, Genesis 2, you see the details of the creation of the man and the woman. God creates the man first. He's in the garden, great relationship with God, no sin, but God notices something that just isn't right. Here's what it says in Genesis 2. It's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. So God sees this need, the man is alone, and he has a solution, a helper fit. We translate it as helper fit in our English language, and helper has been misinterpreted for centuries. Helper, we see as meaning somebody who's subservient, somebody who's less than, someone who might help out from time to time, but really isn't as important as the person whom they are helping. The two words in the Hebrew are ezer kenegdo, helper fit. And literally, it means a saving strength corresponding to him. A saving strength corresponding to him. Philip Payne wrote a really good book. It's called The Bible Versus Biblical Womenhood. And here's what he writes about that phrase. Nothing in the expression Ezra Konegdo, helper fit, in Genesis 2 implies that God created woman as a subordinate helper for the man. Quite the opposite. It highlights her strength as an equal partner with man designed to rescue him from being alone. She is his counterpart, his companion and friend, who alongside him exercises dominion over the earth. She, she fulfills him, and I don't really like that phrase, she fulfills him so that together they can be fruitful and care for the earth. That's God's intention. That is a beautiful picture. And that's God's plan for the way the relationship was set up. Unfortunately, Right after Genesis 2 comes Genesis 3. And the man and the woman together fell into sin. And this beautiful partnership that God had created was completely messed up. And that's where the whole idea of men having control over women and patriarchy, that's where it began. But for us today, we have a really big advantage over God's people in the time of judges because we live with the redemption of the cross. We live in the reality that sin has been defeated, that sin has been atoned for by Jesus. In one of his letters, Galatians, Paul in chapter three makes an argument for how Jesus, how the gospel frees 
all people from the bondage and the constraints of sin and the law. Listen to what Paul writes. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, so national religious barriers broken down. There's neither slave nor, th nor free, that hierarchy in that culture. There is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So patriarchy is universal, it's timeless, it still exists today. It's not what God wants for us, especially for those of us who believe in and follow Jesus. So what does this mean for us today, especially as we think about gifted women and leadership? Well, here's a word for you men and you husbands. Look for ways that you can raise the profile of the Deborahs of today. Look for ways to do that. Look for God-gifted God women. See them, know them, identify them, because they're all around us. They're your wives if you're married. Women called and gifted by God to be in positions of leadership and get out of their way. Follow their lead. Encourage the use of their amazing gifts. That would be a gift to the church. I thank God for Deborah. What a great story, right? Amen? Amen. <laughs> Just checking. <laughs> I thank God for Deborah, a woman gifted and used by God. But I also thank God for the gift of gifted women today. And may we, as the church, continue to look for ways to get out of the way of women who are gifted by God, to follow their lead, to receive blessing from their amazing gifts to fully receive the gift of gifted women. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.